With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. All right, it's emergency podcast time here on the Crossover Pod, Chris Mannix, Howard Beck. And Howard, the James Harden saga is officially over. About 24 hours after James Harden effectively told the world that the Rockets weren't very good, the Rockets have moved on from James Harden. Where are they sending him? Exactly where James Harden wanted to go, the Brooklyn Nets. Let me read off the full trade. It's a three-team trade involving the Indiana Pacers. Actually, a four-team trade involving the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Houston, they pick up Victor Oladipo, Dante Exums, Rodian Karuks, three Brooklyn first-rounders in 2022, 24, and 26. They get a Milwaukee first-round pick in 2022, and they get four first-round swaps from Brooklyn in 21, 23, 25, and 27. The Nets, of course, get James Harden. That's it. The Pacers, they land Karis LeVert from Brooklyn. They also get a second-round pick in that deal. And the Cavs, they pick up a couple of nice young pieces, Jared Allen and Torian Prince for their part in this deal. So, Howard, initial reactions to James Harden finally being moved. Oh, wow. I'm exhausted just hearing you read through that, Chris. Um, Also, uh, you said the saga is over. Is it? Or is it just beginning? Um, that, and that's literally my first thought because he landed with the Nets where Kyrie Irving has been AWOL, let's just put it that way, for several days where K- 
Kevin Durant has been playing pretty well when he's played, but he was in you know COVID protocol for a while where you've still got a rookie head coach in Steve Nash, where you now have what was one of the deepest teams in the, in the league now a little less deep. Um, but you have James Harden, one of the greatest scores you've ever seen. So yeah, one saga ends, one begins. The Rockets drama is over. They get this headache behind them. They start a new era. They did really well, by the way. Um, especially given the position that Harden put them in as capping it off last night with that just train wreck of a press conference, just sabotaging the whole thing. I mean, sabotaging for them, not for him. He got what he wanted today, but I thought that that had the real potential to severely undercut the Rockets in their negotiating stance and what they could hope to get. And without much leverage, I think they did really, really well. Um, we'll, we'll get into to, to all of this, I'm sure. But my initial reactions um, on the net side are, I'm, I'm, I'm a little scared for them, frankly. I'm, I'm, it's, it's amazing to me to think that Sean Marks is the guy who saved this franchise and pulled it back from the brink in the wake of what ended up being a disastrous trade for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett in which they unloaded all of their future picks and pick swaps. He comes in and rebuilds it with, with very little to work with and did an incredible job of it. And now he has played. It's not the exact same card. It's not the exact same trade. And Harden is younger than those guys and all those caveats are there. But there is still a lot of risk in this. And those, those picks on the back end that you read off when Durant is older and Harden's older and Kyrie is who knows where, I mean, it, it, it is impossible to ignore the similarities, especially with just the, the potential downside on the draft picks. Yeah, a uh, couple things I want to say right off the bat. I can't let this pod go any further without acknowledging what James Harden did to get out of Houston was reprehensible. And it's going to stick to him like a stink he'll never be able to get off. Like, this will be part of his story for the rest of his career. That not only did he force a trade out of Houston, but he did it in the most disrespectful, disloyal kind of way you can possibly imagine. I mean, Howard, you were listening on Tuesday night when John Wall stepped up there and said, you can't win when not everybody is buying in. And then Wednesday afternoon, before the trade is finalized, you had Harden's then teammates step to the podium and just publicly thrash him. You had DeMarcus Cousins, who has been Harden's teammate for like five minutes, step up there and smack him around. You had Steven Silas. One of, you know Steven Silas. One of the nicest guys in the league, and a guy that, it's a separate conversation, but I think is finally going to get a chance to show what kind of coach he is with this new group. You had Steven Silas saying, man, it was hard to hear Harden say that we're just not good enough, especially after he's been kind of loafing through this entire season. Um, you know, in a, the type of condition where, I don't know if you saw this, but, you know, before the Lakers game, you had people on NBA TV crapping, cracking jokes about how about uh, James Harden's physique. Like, if NBA TV feels like they can take shots at you, then you know you've, you've kind of crossed the line or crossed the threshold. So that has to be said right at the top. I mean, he, yes. you know, it was funny when George Costanza did it because it wasn't real, trying to get fired, trying to get moved out. Uh, what James Harden did was incredibly disrespectful, and he's not going to be able to live that down anytime soon. You said you thought the Rockets did well. I'm not so sure. I mm. love draft picks believe me and draft picks can pay off they paid off 
huge for the Boston Celtics in that previous Nets trade. They got Jason Tatum, who I think is going to be an MVP in the league at some point. They got Jalen Brown, who I think is going to be a perennial all-star in this league. Few other guys mixed in. They missed on some of those draft picks as well, but that was a huge success for Boston. But I think sometimes we just grossly overrate draft picks. Yes, they can be enormously valuable when a confluence of events occurs and your team goes into the crapper the way the Nets did You know, in those, those years after uh, the trade with Boston. But more often than not, that doesn't happen. And granted, anything can happen. Kevin Durant could get hurt. James Harden could continue to sink. You know, we'll talk about this, but the chemistry with those players might not work out. But I don't know. I'm not foreseeing the Nets in the next four, next four years uh, being a, a bad enough team to make those picks super appealing at this point. And given that, Howard, they didn't get a blue-chip guy. I mean, Oladipo's good. He's an all-star. But he's yeah. not like a guy with this enormous upside. He might be able to be an all-star once again in Houston. Maybe he and John Wall discover some magic in that backcourt. I think that's a really fun athletic backcourt they're put together in Houston. But they didn't get that blue-chip guy. And for weeks... I was hearing that's what they wanted. Teams that talked to Houston said they wanted a star player. That's why Boston wasn't getting in the mix because the Celtics rightfully said, you're not getting Jalen Brown. Like, why would I tell you Jalen Brown for James Harden at this point? Several of the teams had a similar kind of mindset when it came to discussing a deal with the Rockets. For the last few hours before the trade on Wednesday, you know, there was chatter about Philadelphia. And I've got to believe that chatter had some, some truth to it that the Sixers willing to part with Ben Simmons. If a Sixers deal fell apart because the Sixers couldn't create enough draft capital or they weren't willing to throw in Tyrese Maxey, I think it's a mistake. I think in a deal like this, you've got to get the blue chip player. And Ben Simmons at like 25 years old with I think at least four years left on his contract. So he's not able to go anywhere anytime soon. That was the guy to get. So, yeah, look, they got plenty of draft capital. They are now armed to the teeth for the next six, seven years with draft picks they can use to rebuild this roster. And maybe Raphael Stone is a drafting genius, and he and Steven Silas can put together a roster that way. But I would have preferred Ben Simmons. If you if it was Ben Simmons or like three, or two draft picks, give me Ben Simmons all day long. I agree on, on that last part, Chris, for sure. I mean... I said from the beginning, if Ben Simmons is on the table, it's game over for the rest of the league. No one can top a Ben Simmons-based offer, period. I don't care what else was in the deal. Um, the devil's in the details, as they say. I don't know what the details were that, that uh, torpedoed that possibility, whether that's the Sixers pulling back from the brink, whether that's the Sixers not really truly being comfortable dealing Ben Simmons, whether it was a lack of draft capital, as you said, it could be the case. Um, cause I can't imagine that from the Rockets standpoint, they would rather have this package that they got, including the pieces that they picked up, you know, from elsewhere, including Oladipo, uh, clearly Ben Simmons is, is the better place to start than anything they got and is a better place to start, frankly, than all those picks too. If you're talking about a bunch of distant picks versus Ben Simmons now, uh, everybody in the league would take Ben Simmons, of course. So I'm not saying it's a home run deal. I'm not saying it's on the order of what the Thunder got for Paul George or what the Pelicans got for Anthony Davis. Um, it's, 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 um, it's not quite what the, like it's, it's not what the Pelicans got for, for Drew Holiday either, right? Like it's a little better than that. 
Um, but the Pelicans did, did really well in dealing Drew Holiday. Like those are the three recent really big trades that had also involved a lot of future picks to compare to. Every negotiation is different. Leverage is always different. And so it's hard to compare. But I will say this. I like what the Rockets were able to do in context, Chris. I will scale back to say, do I think that they got fair value for James Harden? Is this the ideal trade? No, absolutely not. And of course not. I don't think that was ever possible, though, given the way that Harden played his cards and the position that he put them in. So they should have been able to get the kind of sweetheart deal the Thunder got for Paul George. They should have been able to get something like a young potential stud like Shea Gilgis-Alexander plus a bunch of picks. They should have been able to get something along the lines of what the Pelicans got for Anthony Davis, where they get Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Jason Hart. Uh, Jason Hart? Josh Hart? I always do that. Um, and, and all those picks. Like, you should have been able to get multiple young players and picks and set yourself up for, for the next three to five years minimum. That's the ideal for a guy who's a, a, a recent MVP in James Harden and still a perennial MVP candidate this season notwithstanding, which I don't think he'll make it this time. But that, that just wasn't going to be ha- uh, available, Chris. Like, there, there's just the way this thing played out, and as ugly as it was, and especially accelerated by last night's press conference by Harden, th- this was okay. And so let me just speak to that for a minute. Victor Oladipo starting to look like himself again, but he is coming back from a tough injury. And you now pair him in a backcourt with John Wall, who's come back from an Achilles. The, 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 the best case scenario there is really nice Two you know, established all-stars with a lot of firepower that you can now build around for the next several years. Plus all these extra picks. The downside is that, you know, we don't know what John Wall's long-term trajectory is post Achilles. And we don't even know what Oladipo's long-term trajectory is. And Oladipo is going to be a free agent. So it's, it's not a total home run, but they did pretty well under the circumstances. And those picks don't have to be picks they use. They might be picks that they use themselves in future deals, as Daryl Morey did once upon a time in making the deal to get James Harden. So it's, it's definitely a mixed bag for the Rockets. And, you know, I, I just don't think there were going to be any great, spectacular, happy endings for them, given the way that this thing had unfolded. Okay, let's go down the line here and talk about the two supporting teams and what they got. Uh, The Pacers, they land Karis LeVert, who's under contract for the next uh, two and a half years. Uh, I think this is a good addition for the Pacers, a good decision. I I was never convinced the Pacers wanted to pay Victor Oladipo the money he's going to want in free agency. And because of that, they now get a player who, while not having, you know, not, not as proven as Oladipo, is under contract for longer and is a quality 20-point-per-game scoring two-guard type. I think the Pacers made a good move here. What say you? Absolutely. Um, several things. One, as I mentioned, we don't really know what Oladipo's long-term prognosis is here just in terms of his game and, and, and coming back from that injury from a couple of years ago. It's been slow going. So there's some, I would say, concern about his health long-term. There's the free agency concern. But on top of that, Chris, like there was, you know, very loud rumors uh, a year ago, more than a year ago, that Oladipo didn't want to stay in Indiana long term and that he was going to be bound for Miami when he got the chance or somewhere else. The Heat were were supposedly high on the list and they were certainly interested in him. Uh, Assuming the Rockets re-sign him, you know, then that, that makes it that much better for them. Um, If he walks, it makes it that much worse for the Rockets, but for the Pacers, if all of what we have heard over the last year or so is true, that Oladipo wasn't necessarily long for them anyway, on top of the fact that you have some health volatility 
and a, a coming massive contract. Yeah, they did fantastically in getting Levert. And Levert's a really easy guy to, to fit in, too. You know, he can play as, as your primary ball handler and as a go-to scorer. He can play uh, as a guy who leads the second unit. We've seen him in every, which, uh, every one of those roles during his time in Brooklyn. Um, he can pass. He can rebound a little bit. He, you know, I wouldn't say he's a great defender, but he's a versatile defender. And has, I still think has great upside in that department. And I think we'll fit in really well with that Pacers team. That's a really kind of, you know, all for one, one for all group. Um, I think it, I think it's a, I think it's a great deal for the Pacers. In fact, if you're, uh, I'm not one for the, 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 the quick reaction grades here, Chris, you know, the, the, the Nets will win based on just pure firepower, right? They got James Harden. They got the best player in the deal. So I guess the Nets win the deal. But in terms of, of how each of these teams fared overall and given their situations, I think you can argue that the Pacers actually did the best of the four teams. You know, the Rockets were, you know, losing regardless because they had a disaster on their hands and had to give up their franchise star of the last eight years. The Nets are taking on a lot of potential volatility and risk. The Cavs get Jared Allen. That's fine. Um, Jared Allen's a good player. Uh, I just still don't know what the Cavs are doing long-term or what the plan is, but okay. Um, he's a nice pickup. I, I like Jared Allen. Uh, but I, who I feel best about, like the, 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 um, the piece of the trade that I could be the most confident in and in, in being a, a net gain, um, I think is probably the Pacers. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you. Everything you said there. Uh, I'm also, I thought the Cavs did pretty well. I mean, I like Jared Allen. I don't know. Look, his contract's up after the season. Brooklyn couldn't agree on an extension with him uh, this past offseason. But at a reasonable number, I think he can be a starting center on a good team. He was a starting center on a playoff team for the last couple of years. So I like that deal. They didn't really give up anything, Howard. Like, they're just kind of yeah. there as the facilitator. So you get Jared Allen. You get Tarian Prince, who's another solid young player with, you know, one more year on his deal after this. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's, it's getting it's young, young talent for nothing. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. Uh, there's, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm just, you know, g- given that I don't see the bigger picture of the Cavs. I mean, I guess, look, young backcourt now, Jared Allen is your anchor in the front court. Uh, Drummond probably just walks at the end of the season. Um, yeah, there's, 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 there's something there. It's, it's just harder for me to get a sense of, of uh, what Jared Allen will mean to them long-term. Whereas Karis LeVert is going to plug in right away with a high level playoff team that I think already had a lot going for it. And so that's like, that's the one where I can look at it and say, yep, I can totally see it. It makes perfectly good sense now and in the future with the others. There are caveats. All right. Let's talk about the nets then, because Brooklyn now adds one of the highest usage rate players in the NBA over the last seven, eight years in James Harden to a team that when fully constituted has a high usage rate player in Kevin Durant and a high usage rate player in Kyrie Irving. When I look at this deal, Howard, I have to believe, and you and I talked about this after you wrote your piece on SI.com about what James Harden wants. I have to believe that Harden understands there will be a measure of sacrifice going to Brooklyn. I mean, he has wanted to go to Brooklyn throughout this process. So I have to believe that he's going into this with his eyes wide open. Uh, All that being said, it's one basketball. And you've got Durant, who is playing out of his mind right now. Uh, Kyrie, we can get back into him. We did this on the previous podcast um, earlier this week. You can check that out if you want a deeper dive into that. But if Kyrie comes back, he's a volume scorer, not a pure pass-first point guard. 
And you have James Harden, who's used to having the ball in his hands for like 18 seconds on the shot clock on every single possession during his time in Houston. So how do you think this mix comes together? What do you think of this deal on the court for the Nets? I guess we got to look at it two ways. Um, There's the scenario where Kyrie is still there, and there's the scenario where Kyrie is, I don't know where. Um, We we know so little about this Kyrie situation you know, why he's been gone as long as he has, what the, the um, all, all of it. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know what his mindset is. Is he, is he still completely bought in? I mean, I, so let's put that to the side for a minute. Let, let is for, let's for the sake of this discussion, just say Kyrie Irving is back soon, totally engaged and is all in and that he and KD are still tied at the hip. Throwing Harden into that mix I think even in the best case scenario is difficult for all the reasons you just outlined. He's one of the highest usage players we've ever seen. Katie and Kyrie are both high usage, although not at hardened levels of usage. As I outlined in the story a week ago, I don't know what James Harden will do. And none of us really know except for James Harden, what he'll do when paired with other guys who need the ball a lot and how much he's willing to sacrifice. He did not sacrifice for Russell Westbrook for all the discussion of we're friends and we're going to make it work and everything else. Russell Westbrook sacrificed in that scenario. Westbrook sacrificed another guy who a lot of us, including me wondered would Russell Westbrook ever adapt his game? Well, he did for Harden. Harden did not Harden's usage rate. I think only went up. He did not make it work with Chris Paul. Again, somebody he was friends with. They went two years and then then couldn't wait to get away from each other. And he was the one who wanted that deal done Paul for Westbrook. So he's 31. And is, is this the time where he's going to be willing to adapt, where he's, he's going to be willing to evolve, where he's going to give up a little to Durant and Kyrie? And how much are they willing to give up? Now, I assume that they signed off on this or it wouldn't have happened. But you can, you can be all in on it on day one and say, yeah, this is great. I'd love to play with him. But it doesn't mean it's going to work. In fact, the example of that is Harden and Chris Paul and Harden and Russell Westbrook. It doesn't always work when friends get together, no matter how close they are off the court or how much they want to play together. So – there's going to have to be some give. There just has to be. Like you can't add up all their usage rates and, and have a functioning basketball team. The math doesn't work. The basketball doesn't work. So it's a huge challenge, and it's a huge challenge for a rookie head coach in Steve Nash. Granted, he's got some great vets on his staff, including Mike D'Antoni, who worked with James Harden, of course, very well in Houston. And he's got Jacques Vaughn, and he's got Emi Odoka, and he's got you know a, a staff around. But Nash is still a rookie head coach, and this is a lot a lot to try to manage and to keep everybody happy. So, you know, everyone will look at the firepower and think that's fantastic. This team could blow doors off of everybody. And they've got the the, the best, uh, they've got the only big three in the NBA really right now. Yeah. Um, but where's the defense? It just got a little bit worse probably without Jared Allen. And oh, it, got, it got, it got measurably worse. They might be, I mean, they were having defensive problems as it is. They, they might, of all the, of the contenders, they're right up there as one of the worst defensive teams in the league. I mean, Joe Harris is fine. Uh, DeAndre, not what he used to be. Kevin Durant is getting back to where he once was, but Kyrie's subpar. James Harden is subpar. Key positions. Your backcourt can't defend anybody at this point. That's, that's going to be yeah. a problem for this team. Yeah. And, you know, look, uh, just a quick aside too. Let's put the basketball aside, and and the basketball is part of this. But 
I'm a big fan of teams building organically. Um, and, and when you get the chance to, to, to take the big swing, you do it. So I, it's not that you should never do it. But to the extent that the Nets are still trying, you know, look, I live here in Brooklyn. So I have, I think, a, a semi-feel for, like, the, the fans here and everything else. They, they never really warmed to the first edition of the Nets when they got to Brooklyn in 2012 because – you know, they come from Jersey. You're trying to figure out just who this team is. And they, they try to, you know, swing for the fences then by getting Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, and Brooke Lopez together. You know, they had two of them. They added Joe Johnson. But that was supposed to be their big three, to match up with the Heat big three. But it didn't feel – there was nothing interesting about that team. So then they patch on Garnett and Pierce, and it doesn't really work. Then there's a teardown. And all throughout this, I don't think that fans ever really embraced the Nets in a major way. But the fans who stuck through that – the, the 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 fallout of the the Celtics deal, and had to watch Sean Marks build this back up and get guys like Jared Allen and Karis LeVert and finally these hidden gems and Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and all this, that was a fun team for people to root for because it was built organically and and the, the you either had castoffs like Dinwiddie and Joe Harris who you got saw built into better players and 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 blossom here, or you saw you know LeVert and Jared Allen late picks blossom. And they were fan favorites. And just from that standpoint, I always think it's kind of a shame when like, you know, a fan base gets attached to a group that I don't know what their ceiling was going to be. Um, but when you brought in Durant and Kyrie, that was the idea. They were the, sw- the home run swing to, to then graft onto the homegrown talents. And now it's pretty much all hired guns. And if they win a, ta- a title, like no one's going to care. They'll just love the fact that they won titles. Um, but I just want to say that quick, that quick aside on, on just the idea that like, for fans, I think it's it's tough, especially Jared. Like Jared Allen was absolutely beloved by Nets fans. Um, it's, and, and I think he really you know symbolized this this mini era of the last you know five years or so. Let me ask you this hypothetical: Do do the Nets go all in on this deal if Kyrie is back and playing well, and Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't get hurt? I think it's a great question. Um, I, I, I don't know for sure. I will be curious to know. Like Sean Marks plays it so close to the vest, he's never going to answer that question directly either. But I suspect it would have been a much tougher decision, Chris. I suspect it would have been a lot harder if you've got a, a fully healthy Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyrie is, is, is in the mix and everything's flowing you know, they were still going to have their challenges. They still weren't going to be a great defensive team, and they were still going to have some, I think, some chemistry issues to work out along the way, but they would have certainly been that much stronger. And I think missing Dinwiddie and Kyrie's uh, just the uncertainty of him, at least you have an insurance policy now. You know, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, that Kyrie's never coming back, but if that were to happen, if he just decided I'm just done with basketball for whatever reason, and I'm not suggesting for a minute, folks, that this is happening, but a Harden and Kevin Durant pairing would still make you one of the best teams in the East. So they've given themselves some insurance. By the way, too, I, you know, the, Kevin Durant has looked great, and he's looked certainly like himself, but this is way too small of a sample size for all, for all of us to just declare that Achilles injuries are no longer the most catastrophic thing in the NBA, and it's fine, and you can come back from it even at age 31. Like, we, we, we don't know. 32, excuse me for Kevin. 32, Achilles. Like, I, he's played, what, 10 games? Whatever it's been. Um, I think this is a hedge there, too, to an extent. Maybe not a conscious hedge, but I do think that given 
you know, Kyrie's injury history and his, his volatility, Kevin Durant's injury history. Harden is, you know, for all the fitness issues right now, you can, you can get those under control. He's been durable. Yep. So you, you've given yourself uh, another really reliable quantity in terms of, of just high volume and high efficiency scoring. I think for the short term, like one thing we have to remember is that all that weight's not going to come off Harden just because he's changing addresses. All right. He's still working his way back into shape. His scoring average is down 10 points from last season. Um, he's not in midseason form. And now he's going to step into a new situation, a new system, a familiar teammate in Kevin Durant, who we obviously wanted to play with once again, but maybe in a situation where he's going to have to share the ball a lot more than he has since his Oklahoma City days. Um, this is not going to be a seamless transition. Even if it works out, it's not going to be a seamless transition. There are going to be some real bumps along the way as they try to figure this out. You alluded to this at the top. And this is where we're going to see what Steve Nash is made of. Like, is Steve Nash a good enough coach to not only devise an offensive system that allows these guys to get the touches and remain happy out there on the floor, but managing that locker room. You know, what happens on a night that Kyrie only gets seven or eight shots or Harden goes four for 16 and guys are kind of pointing fingers at each other. Let's not act like that's outside the realm of possibility. Like that is probably more likely than it is not at this point to happen at some point for the Nets this season. I mean, this is, there are a lot of challenges, not the least of which is is how Steve Nash uh, handles it. And Steve has had, there's been a couple of times already, Howard, that Steve has had kind of his authority question, whether it was on that podcast Kyrie did early in the season. You can say it was much ado about nothing, but he still said what he said. And then for Kyrie to just kind of disappear on that first day, and Steve to have no idea where he was. You know, he came out and said that in his opening press conference. So I'm interested to see how Steve Nash handled this because you can rattle off. I mean, he's got some great assistants, beginning with Mike D'Antoni, but the buck stops with you, Steve Nash. And it's going to be a lot of pressure right now on his shoulders in his first year in the league. And Harden is used to having his way. We've seen it in, in so many different ways, on the court, off the court. Um, there's been plenty of reporting on it. He, he dictates things, but he's going to be on a team now where, look, Sean Marks has come, comes from the Spurs culture, and the, you know, the Nets operate a little bit closer to, say, the Spurs or the Heat, where it's, no, 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 we do things our way and you conform. How's Harden going to deal with that? Um, how's he going to deal with Steve Nash's authority? Harden's an MVP. Nash has two MVPs. <laughs> you know, is, is that enough juice to, uh, to corral him on his, on his bad days? Um, you know, there's, it, it's still, it, this is still really about, you know, this is a player's league. This is a star's league. And it's really still about what James Harden wants and is willing to do, what Kevin Durant wants and is willing to do, what Kyrie Irving, assuming he's back on the court, is willing to do. Like, if those three want to make it work, it will work. If they want to, and, and the, the, the good news for them is Durant and Kyrie Irving both have rings already. So if, if there's, um, if that factors in at all, you could at least make the case that they do not need to, to do as much. Maybe they'll see it as a relief to have Harden to do some of the heavy lifting and that they don't need all of it because they've, they've had their moments and they've had their ring. And this, this could give them, you know, another ring or two or three, maybe, maybe they look at it that way. 
And maybe the premise that I floated last week in that story where I talked to Ray Allen about the Celtics coming together, maybe that applies here. Um, and the premise was the idea that when you get in your 30s and you've been a star in this league and you've done all the individual things and you've gotten all the individual accolades, in your 30s is when you say, okay, now it's time for team goals and I'm willing to sacrifice a little. And that's what Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett did. Uh, Kyrie will turn 29 in March. So he's not quite in his 30s yet. But Harden is 31. KD's 32. And again, two of these three guys already have rings. So maybe, you know, maybe the recipe is different. Um, maybe it's, it's not three guys coming together at age 25. I will say this. Anybody who wants to point to Kevin, uh, to, um, to James Harden and Kevin Durant, either being teammates before or Harden being sixth man of the year, like just throw that stuff out the window, folks. Like that James Harden was like 22 and young and a sixth man of the year who, you know, had to play behind Katie and, and Westbrook at that time because that's that's what the pecking order was. He had not established that he was going to be a perennial MVP and one of the greatest scorers of all time. Whatever potential was there, whatever people see in retrospect, people did not know it then. Once you've established yourself at that level for eight years, it the equation's different. So just because he's willing to, to be deferential in 2011-12 does not mean that he's uh, – going to be willing to do that right now. Maybe he will. I'm not saying he won't, but I just, I don't, I don't think the reference points of, of what he was in Oklahoma as a really young player have any relevance whatsoever. No, it's a good point. Certainly will be interesting to watch Howard. Hopefully no more trades before we do the show regularly scheduled time next week, but I guess you never know Bradley Beal. Maybe he's next on the chopping block. Bradley Beal is out there. You're next Bradley Beal. We'll save that for uh, the next time. Always good to talk to you, Howard. Thank you, Chris. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.